0: The Best of Our Knowledge explores topics on learning, education, and research. Coming up, the College of St. Rose, a private liberal arts college in New York, recently announced it would close at the end of the academic year. We'll hear from staff and students affected by the change. And varsity hockey players try a new version of their sport. I'm Lucas Willard, host of The Best of Our Knowledge. Listening to The Best of Our Knowledge, I'm Lucas Willard. It's a challenging time for small liberal arts colleges, many of which are facing shrinking enrollment and financial stress. The College of St. Rose, a private college in the heart of Albany, New York, recently announced it would close next spring at the end of the academic year. The official announcement came a day after a decisive vote by the college's Board of Trustees. As news spread, an emotional campus community was left hungry for answers. The best of our knowledge is Dave Lucas was there. At the conclusion of the spring 24 semester, our beloved 103-year-old college of St. Rolls will shut its doors.
1: A somber chair, Jeffrey Stone, told students, faculty, and supporters at the Mastery Center for the Arts that the Board of Trustees had determined the private institution does not have the financial resources to operate a full 2024 2025 academic year and has a projected $11 million deficit for this year. Stone cited declining enrollment linked to a shrinking pool of high school graduates and the COVID-19 pandemic for the financial stress on the college. College President Marsha White chastised reporters after the private gathering.
2: You know, the announcement that we've made today, one that we did not know we were going to be making yesterday um, until a board made a decision, is excruciating. Um, Even to talk about the closure of the College of St. Rose is so painful uh, and devastating to all of us. And the only reason that um, I'm not a wreck and in tears is I am so angry at the fact that our students, our faculty, our employees, their par- the parents of our students had to hear this news in the press rather than from us today, which is a time we had put aside to do a, a personal message to them and have a conversation. That's the way we do it at St. Rose.
1: The decision to shutter the school leaked on the heels of a Times Union report that the private college recently asked the city for $5 million.
2: I wanna make it crystal clear that there was never a request for a bailout. And the request was not for immediate financial support. The request was for bridge funding so that the College of St. Rose could continue conversations with a partner, another partner of higher education, so that we could not only continue programs here, but continue programs that are providing the professional workforce that's in crisis mode in New York State.
1: White promised students, faculty and staff support through the rest of the academic year and beyond She added St. Rose had been looking to partner with, affiliate, or merge with another college to save the school. But such a partner was never found. Albany Common Council President Corey Ellis issued a statement calling for envisioning the next chapter of the 87 properties owned by the college, ensuring the college's closure does not negatively impact the Pine Hills neighborhood. White says the focus of the closure shouldn't be on buildings or real estate, but people.
2: And the thing that's very disturbing is that when a college closes, and a college like ours, that you have to remember, 40% of our students are Pell eligible. 40% identify of color. And when some of those students leave a college, they never go back. So this community isn't just losing a few students, they're losing also the economic support in this neighborhood they're losing the fact that you may have 79 buildings that are going to be shuttered. The, the impact that we have on New York State, again, we graduate and provide the certificates of education more than any other college in New York State. We're number one in producing teachers. We also, 25% of the school principals in New York City are St. Rose graduates.
1: Albany Mayor Kathy Sheehan spoke on WAMC's Roundtable panel and said communication with the college leading up to the closure announcement had been lacking.
2: It really was not until October, uh, middle, middle of October, uh, that I received a phone call saying, no, things are very dire, but we are pursuing a partnership agreement and we think we're going to find a partner and we're going to be looking for some financial assistance to bridge us to that partnership. And it wasn't until uh, the Monday of uh, of Thanksgiving week that a meeting was called where that demand was made for a specific dollar amount um, with the explanation that this money was desperately needed to prevent the school from closing. And so it happened at lightning speed.
1: Other local educational institutions pledged their support. Russell Sage College said it is heartbroken and is ready to provide a supportive landing for students who need to finish their degrees. University at Albany President Don Rodriguez called it a tragic day and said the SUNY school remains committed to Midtown Albany, where it has a campus. Reporting for the best of our knowledge, I'm Dave Lucas.
0: As officials at the College of St. Rose work to assist members of the campus community, affected students say they feel angry and lost. The best of our knowledge is Samantha Simmons reports.
3: Lauren Wrigley, a graduate student at the college, says being able to spend her entire college career at Saint Rose is bittersweet.
2: I think the thing that's hurt uh, us the most collectively is just the, the knowing that our professors uh, have really nowhere to go. It's so hard
0: to find jobs in academia now. Um, they were the the most. This is my most memorable thing about being at this school, and that so many of them have made life changing impacts on me. Um, so that, that's that been the, the hardest part to grasp, at least for me.
2: Dan Hanrahan, a
3: history education major, says he chose the college for its accessibility.
1: It's frustrating because as a disabled American, it's very hard to find colleges that are inclusive, <laughs> for people with disabilities and this college is very inclusive for people with disabilities. How so? Uh, They provide like a lot more accommodations, there's a lot of people with disabilities on campus and uh, you just get the sense that it's welcoming.
2: Reporting for the best of our knowledge, I'm Samantha Simmons.
0: As the College of St. Rose plans for closure, one neighbor and a New York state lawmaker is keeping a close eye on the situation. Democrat Pat Fahey chairs the State Assembly's Higher Education Committee. We spoke soon after news of the closure broke.
4: I'm devastated, of course. it's I'm not just a, um, uh, a city resident. I'm a neighbor. Um, it's uh, about a mile from my house, so of course it's devastating. And... Um, but I've been working on this in some ways, um, you know, for years we've known of the financial trouble and uh, COVID accelerated all of that. And then for the last couple of months, we have been trying to work with them on some options, um, none of which came to fruition. So, um, so it, it's still, on a, again, on a very personal level, it's devastating. And my, my primary concern right now is the students we know that a lot of students then you know we we lose track of those students and they often don't finish so i'm very very focused on the students and then on the neighborhood that's a neighborhood that's had some challenges especially the eastern end of the neighborhood so um having a lot of conversations with folks on next steps
0: so as far as steps that the state has attempted to take or that you and the legislature have attempted to take um, were, did you have any discussions with anyone over at St. Rose about possible funding or any other kind of state bailout to help keep the campus afloat?
4: Well, um, yes, we've had funding conversations, but they were never about a bailout. They were really about what kind of bridge funding to make sure the students would be served while we figure out next steps, in other words, uh, a merger or a, um, a program acquisition from other colleges, but it wouldn't have been, there, you know, we don't do bailouts. <laughs> we just had SUNY Potsdam, uh, I'm new higher ed chair. Uh, we just had to um, make cuts up at SUNY Potsdam, not close it, but there were some significant cuts made up there. We've just seen Casanova close uh, in the Utica, Syracuse area. And we just seen uh, have seen Medill close in the Buffalo area so um, we knew there wouldn't be bailouts but we were looking for some transition or what we were calling bridge funding to make sure we could serve the students uh, um, while working on a merger.
0: You mentioned Casanova College. One of the things that Cas did when it announced its closure is it began working on transfer agreements with other institutions. Is that something that you'd like to see at Saint Rose Is the college working to find places for the students to go?
4: Absolutely, and I'm already having conversations. The minute this looked more imminent, I've been on calls um, twice this week, <laughs> uh, including late last night with State Education Department, so that we are, um, so that again we now accelerate the focus on the. Students, because we these students are going in in these next few weeks into finals uh, we need to remind all students that the school is not closing until the end of the academic year that means uh, May or June um, but and we need to make sure that all of them have what what's referred to as a teach-out plan so let's say you are a junior in an education program uh, a plan is developed such that they uh, collaborate with uh, UAlbany where they have a master's of education program to make sure that that student uh, gets the requirements they need uh, that would be certified by that master's program for the bachelor's degree. In other words, that the students have, again, a teach out to complete their degrees uh, via another institution, academic institution. That's going to be a a top priority because, again, we've got to keep our focus on the students and then on making sure we focus on the economic development uh, aspects of the neighborhood and, and, you know, all of the buildings.
0: And speaking of that, I mean, for for someone who hasn't been to St. Rose before, they may not know kind of the way it's laid out. It's very much woven right into the neighborhood uh, in that part of Albany. There are smaller buildings that are right near right in a residential area. So obviously, uh, if those buildings go empty, this is going to have an impact on the neighborhood.
4: Uh, Lucas, it's more than woven in; it is an anchor of the neighborhood. Absolutely, absolutely, this is a this is an essential part of the Pine Hills neighborhood. So that's part of the, you know, this this, um, you know, it's it's been a very it's been a very difficult week as this looked more and more imminent. And that is why there will be a, a hyper-focus on this. We're already having many conversations. I know the county is going to walk in. Uh, there may be uh, to work with any employees who may be looking for jobs in the, uh, in the immediate future, including uh, some of the staff. Um, and I've already had conversations with the county executive. So we are going to work, for, uh, work toward as much of a seamless transition for the students the staff, and then the economic development aspects of the neighborhood. The good news is the facilities, the, the buildings, there's a, essentially 87 buildings, <clears throat> small and large. The, the facilities are considered to be, a, by and large, in excellent condition, so that really helps with transition plans on, on what it may morph into. And that could be any combination of things, but that is, that's the good news here. And that's different than the College of New Rochelle, uh, the nursing school, when that went under a few years ago. Not every college has such, um, uh, has facilities in such good shape as St. Rose does. New York State
0: Assemblywoman Pat Fahey, a resident of Albany, chairs the State Assembly's Higher Education Committee. You're listening to The Best of Our Knowledge. Education advocates are worried about historic budget cuts to the nation's largest public school system. The cuts, part of a move by New York City Mayor Eric Adams to close a more than $7 billion funding gap, will slash the city's education department budget by $1 billion over the next two years. Nonprofit group Children's Aid says the move will affect summer school and universal pre K programs and otherwise impact educational outcomes for students. Children's Aid CEO Phoebe Boyer says the cuts put tutoring, nutrition programs, family support, and mental health services at risk. While much has been said about learning loss during the pandemic, Boyer tells our Jody Cowan she predicts the cuts would affect the services that proved successful in the wake of the COVID crisis.
3: During the pandemic, our incredible team Right. Hashtag essential as we call them, worked with families to give them the supports. We did outreach within you know a few weeks to learn that some of our early childhood families didn't have food, didn't have diapers, didn't have ways of connecting. And for kids in school, we you know delivered all sorts of devices to make sure they were connected and had the supports. We saw tremendous learning loss and gaps. There's no question. But we also knew we had the solutions, right? The holistic approach that Children's Aid takes and always has is the right approach to helping kids recover from the experience that they have just been through. That integration is now at the core of everything we do. And I would say it's the place where we're seeing success. You know, we have kids who've come into our early childhood program that are much further behind on their developmental scores. And the reality is with the integrated supports, we can overcome that. We also saw successes in the fact that our some of our teenagers. Um, really engaged with online mental health supports. It was a tool that certainly was developed uh, during the crisis, but ultimately it's allowed for more consistency, less disruption in their daily lives, but they can still get the supports that they need. All of those pieces are the things that Children's Aid does and always has, but is coming to the forefront as we see how we help kids recover from what they have been through and be, frankly, more resilient and more capable to take on all of what the world is delivering to them.
0: It sounds like much needed and fantastic programming. Unfortunately, one of the reasons why we're here to talk to you today is because of funding cuts that are coming to this program. These cuts are here. Uh, With more to come in the next few months and then later in 2024, in what ways will this affect Children's Aid's ability to run its programming?
3: Yeah, Jody, we are deeply, deeply concerned about these cuts. Um, We do recognize that these are hard times, but the fact is there's not a lot of transparency about how these cuts are being applied. So I can't tell you exactly what is going to be cut and where. Um, it would be devastating for the communities that need the more support to not have them, but we can't see that yet um, in these cuts. And they are they are severe. I mean, one of the things that we're concerned about um, that has been part of what we helped spearhead was summer rising, right? An opportunity to use the most of our time to help kids heal, um, reconnect, uh, develop relationships, work on their academics, that is going to be, um, it looks like that's going to be eliminated in in the next summer. And we're going to have to have clarity on that because it's been a key component of helping our kids get back on track.
4: In-house, how are you
0: working to prepare for or push back against these cuts?
3: So we have a team, a powerful team, um, all um, who is motivated to talk about the cuts. We have an advocacy team that is monitoring them. I'm I'm doing some calls as is everybody uh, with our electives um, and we're gonna raise the voices of our children and families about what is needed. Um, first we have to get that transparency, as I said, Jody, so that we can see we want to make sure that equity is at the front and center of all of the decisions the city has made. Um, and you know we're preparing. we're monitoring what what these cuts will mean for our budget and our services um, and um, you know, as I said, deeply concerned um, and going to advocate like crazy like we always do, but even more so in partnership with our other providers.
0: Is there anything that families can do to support children's aid initiatives?
3: Yeah, absolutely, Jodi. I mean, I think it's keeping an eye on how this plays out. And, and I appreciate you taking the time um, to make sure that all of your listeners are aware of what's going on. These are at historic levels, and we need to make sure that we're all doing what we can to protect our kids and families across the city and the state.
0: Phoebe Boyer is CEO of education advocacy group Children's Aid. She spoke with the best of our knowledges Jody Cowan. You're listening to The Best of Our Knowledge. I'm Lucas Willard. Union College's home hockey rink in Schenectady, New York, has seen a lot of memorable moments over the years, including a team that won the national championship in 2014. Recently, the Garnet Chargers got to try something new. Inside Union College's Mesa rink, the Garnet Chargers are getting low to the ice, really low. Members of Union's men's and women's hockey teams are seated in sleds that almost look like large skates. With a short hockey stick in each hand, the varsity hockey players are facing off against the Capital District Sled Warriors, a program of Stride Adaptive Sports. As the Union players struggle to navigate the ice, the Sled Warriors easily cruise circles around them. Amanda Kwan is a forward on the Union women's team.
2: Difficult, like the first time getting on the sled and kind of figuring out how to push and turn, that was definitely really hard. But once we kind of got the hang of that, it got a little bit easier.
0: The sled warriors accept players of all ages and abilities. Ten-year-old Lyle Joyner was steered around the rink in his sled by his dad, Steve, who skates behind.
1: What do you like about it?
2: You get to play.
0: Tonight's match is the first game scenario for the father and son. Steve says they've only been playing sled hockey for two months.
1: The sport is fun to learn. It's just um, trying to get him comfortable with pushing and turning. Turning is the hard part. Well, overall, it's it's a pretty fun sport. It just takes time to get used to.
0: James Wilson, a 45-year-old disabled veteran, has been playing sled hockey for three years now. He says he was introduced to the sport by a military friend. The first time I got in the sled, I loved it. I laid on the ice most of the time, but once I got a hold of it, got a handle on it, I love it. Wilson says he can only stand on his legs for about an hour at a time, preventing him from strapping on skates. Now he says he works out his core and upper body to play hockey with the team he says has been supportive from day one. They were like, you know what, everybody falls. Everybody gets up. Everybody is going to learn the same thing that you're learning. Just stay with it. You're going to be good. And then as, you know, I uh, get better passes. People are like, see, now you're better passing. And then all of a sudden I started shooting. They're like, you have a hell of a shot. You should just do that more often. And that's encouraging to me. So then when I see new people get on the ice that want to play this sport, I do the same thing that the, the team did for me. Sled Warriors team manager John Phillips says the strength of the athletes who are physically limited from playing traditional sports is impressive.
1: I've been in tournaments where we've seen players with no arms and sticks taped to their elbows and six goals in the top of the net. I mean, and don't come off the ice for three periods. The conditioning of some of the special needs athletes is in awe. like hockey players usually you're a minute and 30 off the ice. When I see a special needs athlete on the ice for three full periods. That's pretty impressive.
0: Phillips adds that hockey is not the only sport that Stride offers.
1: Sled hockey is kind of cool because I think it gives a lot of good awareness. We have our adaptive ski program. We do camping. You know, there's so many activities that we do for the kids. Um, So it's kind of nice going to the site and connecting. There's a lot in this area. I've been amazed with how many special needs or it could be school programs that don't even realize all the amazing things kids can do in adaptive sports and the resources that Stride Adaptive Sports has to support those kids in that journey. Oh, by the sled
2: On
0: this night, the sled warriors defeat the Garnet Chargers 9 to 1. Brian Brinker, assistant director for facilities at Union, says it's not the first time the sleds have hit the home ice in Schenectady.
1: We have had them at a game to play in between periods in the past. We've had a game about 12 years ago or so with the sled warriors against our varsity programs. and. Um, it was it was it was a great success, and, and uh, I just figured you know let's let's try that again. It was just uh, you know we've had we had some ice time here, um, and I think it would be a, a, a great uh, opportunity to you know to get the the, the sled warriors a chance to play a, a game, and uh, get our kids exposed to uh, adaptive sports.
0: Unions Quan says she'll take something away from learning a new version of her sport.
1: I think it just makes
2: us appreciate how much how lucky we are to be able to skate with two perfectly fine legs and feet um, as hockey players, and it's really important for both the men's and women's team to be out in the community and supporting and supporting different forms of hockey that we don't necessarily see every day.
0: And there's more information on Stride Adaptive Sports available at stride.org. For the best of our knowledge, I'm Lucas Willard. Many educators will say teaching can be a thankless job. Stress and workload in the classroom can lead to burnout. Now, a new app developed by a former 7th grade math teacher aims to help the entire school community, teachers, students, and staff share praise. On the next episode of The Best of Our Knowledge, we'll speak with Claire Smith, the creator of the program Highlight. Here's a sneak peek
2: kids would start to send them across classes and then all of a sudden it became cool to like say nice things about people in period four and period six and period two, right? So like that quickly became a thing like this, it's not just receiving it, right? That's, that's hugely important and it's not just sending it, which is also hugely important. And we don't talk about it enough, right? Like learning how to say those nice things. Um, not just students, also adults, but, but making it visible normalizes it.
0: Claire Smith is creator of the classroom app Highlight. Hear more on the next episode of The Best of Our Knowledge. This has been The Best of Our Knowledge, episode 1733. The Best of Our Knowledge is a national production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Thanks to associate producer Jody Cowan. The latest on all national productions programs is available via the Airwaves newsletter and our flagship station's website, wamc.org. Until next time, I'm Lucas Willard.